1: To find out if it's right for
2: you. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about Amarjit Chohan, a loving father, a devoted husband, and a very successful entrepreneur, who lived for business, but loved his family above all. But when a lucrative deal went bad, Amarjit would be forced into a deadly dilemma. Murder research used in authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 124, Signed in Blood, Part 1. Today, I'm standing on the Market Trading Estate in Southall, TW5. One mile west of the suicide of child rapist Arnis Zalkins. Three miles south of the deadly drugs trial at Northwick Park Hospital. And just two miles northwest of the family home of Amarjit Chohan. Coming very soon to Murder Mile. Situated off the busy M4 motorway and under the hectic Heathrow flypath, the market trading estate is an industrial complex full of cash-and-carries, car washes and warehouses. Laid in a T-shaped cul-de-sac, it's flanked by 15 brown brick and grey steel warehouses. With roller-shuttered stock rooms on the ground, office spaces above and outside, a hive of forklifts stacking pallets of goods into trucks. The only difference between this and any other trading estate is that, being a place where many fruit and veg empires bloom, and the mango mogul, the kumquat queen, and the princes of the quinces reign supreme, past the mangled mopeds and dodgy dadsons often sits a boss's These are business-to-business distributors, where deals and dates are done by the ton and tamarinds are shipped by the truckload. They do sell bananas, but should you wish to buy a bunch, expect to be pitted and patted on the head, laughed at and lampooned, or advised to shop elsewhere, and that you are a frivolous squanderer of time, whose father is unknown. Back in 2003, Units 7 and 8 were occupied by Seba Freight, a specialist importer of Kenyan and Ugandan foods which was co-owned by Amarjit Chohan, a man who exuded entrepreneurial spirit but remained humble, kind and polite. Through hard work, he had built a great life for himself and his family. But when a business deal went sour, his skills in negotiation would make the difference between life and death. As it was here, on Thursday the 13th of February 2003, that Amarjeet Chohan left for a business meeting. He was never seen again. And yet his last days alive would be the toughest of his life. It is said that a humble man is often born out of humble beginnings. Amarjit Singh Chohan was born in the Punjab of India on the fifth of March, nineteen fifty-seven. With imperialist British rule having ceased, its once bounteous lands all raped and plundered, and India now independent, but also part of the Commonwealth. Once Britain was gone. The aftershocks of our tyranny would remain with the people of India and Pakistan for decades and almost certainly centuries to come. Amarjit was raised amongst a turbulent time of terrorism, civil war and famine. But as a Sikh, even in his own homeland, Amarjit was not safe. Following the annexation of Sikhism in 1973, and the assassination of Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi by her own Sikh bodyguards. This escalated an already fervent hostility against Sikhs, as well as igniting persecution, riots and slaughter. It was never said why Amarjit left India, but his safety was certainly a serious enough reason to flee. In the early 80s, Barely 30, Amarjit moved to the UK. Like many immigrants, there was very little evidence about his early life in England. But being educated and skilled, he survived by hard work. With a thick mop of jet black hair on top of his chubby round face, Accentuated by arched eyebrows and a thick broad moustache, Amarjit was the epitome of pleasant, and although he had an insatiable drive to thrive, and a desire never to be poor, he was always humble. Amarjit was a down-to-earth man, who dressed casually in trousers, a shirt and a jumper. His business style was easy but savvy. He was never Mr. Chohan or Sir, he was always Anil or Neil. Everyone who worked for him liked him, and being a Sikh, he didn't drink, do drugs, or gamble, but he did get his thrills from business. Even at his most affluent, he lived in a modest little bungalow not far from his warehouse, and he drove a five-year-old blue Ford Escort an economical little runabout with just enough seats for his family. In 1996, with a reckless streak and a habit for cutting corners, having been sentenced to three years in prison for tax evasion, he was released after 18 months and swore he would always do better. In August 2000, 47-year-old Amarjit, married 25-year-old Nancy. And although half his age, within three years, together they would build a business empire and a happy, loving family. Amarjit had come from nothing, but through hard graft and raw grit, he had become a success. A respected businessman, a loving husband, a doting father, and a very humble millionaire. His life was good. But by February 2003, everything would be taken from him in the stroke of a pen. On the 9th of August 2000, with his wife Nancy as co-director, Amajet opened Ciber Freight Services UK, at a double-wide warehouse on the market-trading estate. Being close to Heathrow Airport, and the Asian and African communities of Hounslow, it was the perfect location to import fruits, such as bananas, passion fruit, jackfruit and mangoes, but also papaya, pawpaw, mongogo, devil's claw and even cat. A mildly hallucinogenic narcotic, banned in Europe and the USA, but legal in the UK, which predates coffee and tobacco, but is a common and popular stimulant amongst the Somali community. With his business booming, after just three years, Ciba Freight had an annual turnover of £4.5 million. Pounds. That same year, following the birth of their first son Ravinda, Amajit and Nancy moved into a bungalow at 35 Sutton Road in Heston, a very modest, single-floored, four-roomed house in a lower-middle-class suburb. It was practical and simply decorated. This didn't look like the home of a millionaire, with a thriving import firm, a bulging bank account, and as landlord, a portfolio of five properties worth 2.5 million pounds. But then again, that was the whole point. The family lived simply and safely. They had everything they needed, but they were never without. In December 2002, being a full-time mum to a boisterous three-year-old, Nancy gave birth to a second son, a little cheeky-faced angel called Devinda. To Amarjit, whose own parents and siblings seemed to have been oddly absent in his life. His new family was everything. And at the centre of it all was Nancy. As a Punjabi Sikh, although her blood family lived on opposite sides of the world, with her mother, chiranjit Korpan Pan, in India, and her brother, Ankar Verma, in New Zealand, distance meant nothing. In late January 2003, as Nancy was unable to fly home to India, as having applied for British citizenship, her Indian passport was being held by the Home Office. Chiranjit flew 4,000 miles to be by her daughter's side. And every day, without fail, Nancy phoned her brother. Encased in a protective family bubble, Although Amarjit was a slightly nervous man who kept his cards to his chest, he knew he could rest easy, knowing his family were always safe. So with extra mouths to feed, and two sons, who he hoped one day would inherit his empire, Amarjit was looking to expand. Introduced to Amarjit by Michael Parr one of his partners, who co-owned Ciber Freight. As a trained HGV driver, Kenneth Avery had begun working for Amarjit, and the two men had become friendly. Being four years his senior, a lot of similarities could be seen between Amarjit and Kenneth. Both were roughly the same age. Both were a little bit chubby, both came from modest working-class roots, and as the two men always dreamed big, they both had a burning desire to take risks and reap the rewards. Looking less like a hard-nosed trader and more akin to a second-hand car dealer, Kenneth was a pale, fat and jowly man with fair hair on top and grey clumps along the sides and being dressed in casual jeans and an old rugby top, his modest look matched Amarjit's. In January 2003, Kenneth had a money-making deal that he knew Amarjit would love. Aided by an old friend, Belinda Bruin, an elegant and successful PR exec with a solid reputation and some serious celebrity clout, Kenneth proposed a £3 million deal to build a McDonald's franchise at Hatton Cross. Sadly, the deal collapsed, but Amarjit wasn't unnerved. Not every deal was a success, but seeing that, like himself, Kenneth Avery was not averse to cutting a few corners, Amarjit could see that Kenneth wasn't full of hot air. the morning of Thursday the 13th of February 2003 was as regular as any other. As devout Sikhs, the Chohan family woke a few hours before dawn and they bathed and prayed before sitting down to breakfast. Their bungalow was busier than usual as Churanjit, Nancy's mother, wasn't due to leave for two more weeks. But as a softly spoken 51-year-old teacher who was never without her holy book, the Guru Granth Sahib. She was a calming influence on a modest home, with a new baby and an excitable boy. At roughly 8am, dressed casually in a navy blue jumper, black trousers, socks and shoes, Amjad kissed his wife and kids, popped on a coat as it was cold and hopped into his blue Ford Escort. At 8.30 a.m., he parked up in his regular spot outside of Seba Freight. Amarjit entered the first-floor mezzanine, which overlooked the warehouse. He greeted his staff, he checked his post, and he casually told his co-partner, Michael Parr, I'm off to do a deal. This was not unusual, as Amarjit was often secretive a risk-taker who some said ran his company chaotically. But no one ever queried this, as business was booming, and above all, he was the boss. Always seeking new adventures, he would often disappear for hours and even days on end. But he could always be contacted on his mobile, replying in English to his staff and Punjabi to his wife nothing else was said about the meeting, except that Kenneth had secured a potential buyer for the company, the meeting was soon, and the buyer was Dutch. Only that wasn't Amarjit's only secret, as although he was wealthy on paper, being in serious financial trouble, he had recently siphoned off £50,000 from the business to his own account, using three company cheques. At roughly 9 a.m., Amarjit left Ciba Freight. But from that point onwards, the details get vague. With a license plate of S840 LJH, a network of traffic cameras would later track his blue Ford Escort, traveling 76 miles at a steady pace across the next one hour and 20 minutes. He exited the Hayes Road at Bulls Bridge, travelled south along the parkway, south-east on the M4 and the M3, joined the A303 at North Waltham in Wiltshire. But being a rural area, the cameras lost him somewhere near Stonehenge. The exact time and place of Amarjit's meeting with the Dutch buyer is unknown, as he didn't own a diary. He didn't tell his staff, and although he and Nancy had texted en route, their messages, written in Punjabi, were loving but nothing special. Just the standard reminders between a husband and a wife. As for what we do know, the details may seem odd, but either Amarjit was unfazed or desperate. it is not known why he agreed to meet a stranger somewhere as secluded as a lane near Stonehenge, the infamous Neolithic monument of two vertical rings of 25-ton stones. But having travelled from Holland, the Dutch buyer may have been sightseeing. Perhaps the buyer had relatives or was staying in a hotel nearby. Or maybe this was just a recognisable place to meet before moving on. At an unknown time, possibly around 10.30 or 11am, a white transit van pulled up. Again, this may seem suspicious, as why should any potential buyer of a multi-million pound business empire arrive to a meeting in a locally rented van with the hire company's details down the side? But then again, Amarjit's modest little motor was hardly the stylish wheels of a wealthy tycoon. Only the deal didn't exist. The buyer wasn't Dutch. And this wasn't a meeting. It was an ambush. Drugged with a rag soaked in gamma hydroxybutric the date-rape drug known as GHB. As a devout Sikh, whose religion didn't permit him to drink, to do drugs, or even stimulants like coffee or tobacco, the effect on Amarjit was instant, as his body was rendered silent and motionless by the intoxicant. With his face, hands and feet tied with brown parcel tape, Amarjit was slung in the back of the van by two men, maybe three, with one definitely driving, another in the back, and maybe one following behind in his blue Ford Escort. Maybe they were masked, maybe they were armed, maybe he knew them, he didn't know. But what he did know was none of them were Dutch. Driven cautiously, the white van and the blue Ford crawled 6.2 miles south along the isolated field flank roads from Stonehenge, down the quiet A360 to South Newton, a quaint little village surrounded by a few sparse farms, thousands of acres of crops, and a single solitary pub. Both vehicles then entered Forge Close, a small L-shaped cul-de-sac with two cottages on either side, allotments behind, and at the end stood a small terraced bungalow made of brown bricks and white sills with a neat little lawn. It's the kind of place an elderly widower might retire to live out his final days. With barely enough space, the van reversed along the sidewall of the bungalow to the left, and parking close to the side gate, in broad daylight, the doped and tied hostage was dragged inside, by the three men. As a kidnapper's safe house, three forged close looked harmless, being a small assisted living space, with a bedroom, a kitchenette, and a small sitting room, with a telly, an armchair, slippers to one side, and on a side table, a few photos, some bills, and a copy of the racing post. Of the three kidnappers, Amarjit didn't recognise William Hornsey, also known as Bill, a small, sickly-looking 52-year-old with a receding hairline and a vacant stare. He thought he knew Peter Douglas Reese, a 38-year-old with a crap moustache and a bad mullet, having previously impersonated a Dutch buyer on the phone and laid the mezzanine floor at Sea Freight just a few weeks before. But the main man that Amarjit definitely recognized was his friend and potential business partner, Kenneth Avery. Only Avery wasn't Avery. His real name was Kenneth Roy Regan, a bad man with a bad name and a very bad temper, who had earned his fearsome reputation and ill-gotten fortune as a forger, a conman, A drug smuggler, and as Hampshire police believed, but could never prove, a very violent and sadistic killer. Still drugged, with one of Amarjet's wrists secured to the floral armchair, before him on the coffee table lay a pen and a stack of blank sheets of headed paper, emblazoned with the logo of Seba Freight. Pointing, Kenneth barked, But with his mouth muffled by parcel tape, Amarjit refused. No was not a word that Kenneth liked to hear. So without warning, Amarjit was violently beaten, as a volley of fast fists pummeled his head and face. With the curtains closed, the kidnapper's assault had some privacy. But with allotments behind and the bungalow's walls wafer-thin. He had to be quiet. them, Kenneth growled as his hostage bled. But with his director's signature on a stack of blank sheets of Ciber Freight paper, Amajit knew that Kenneth could do anything to his business. Everything he had worked for would be gone. But this wasn't about his present. It was about his family's future. Kenneth knew how to break him with drugs, beatings and threats. But being both a psychopath and a sociopath, Kenneth Regan had overlooked a small and he thought insignificant little detail which was irrelevant to his plan. Several times, Nancy had texted But she got no reply. Calling his mobile, it went to voicemail. And with the day becoming night, and the night becoming day, hearing no news, a frantic Nancy called Michael Parr, his partner at Ciber Freight. Rightfully panicked and anxious, unable to reassure her. He's probably fine. You know Anna he called the one man who he knew that Amarjit had said he was with, Kenneth Regan. The plan had changed. Say it. He still needed his signature, but first he needed his voice. Say it. If this failed, the police could be called and arrests would be made. Say it. So armed with his own phone, Kenneth sped back from Wiltshire to South Hall and to the little bungalow of Nancy Chohan. In the sitting room, as Charendrit tried to get the two screaming boys to sleep, Kenneth reassured Nancy that everything was fine. Amarjit was good. The deal with the Dutch went well. Very well, in fact. So he had popped over to Holland to seal the deal. But his phone was playing up. Nancy didn't believe a word of this, so Kenneth pulled out his phone and proved it. The message was unmistakably Amarjit. He said, Hello Nancy, don't panic. I'm okay. I'll be back tomorrow. He sounded well and chirpy. as Nancy burst into tears, less through worry and more through exhaustion and relief. With his victim's wife now pacified, Kenneth drove back to Wiltshire, and once again, it was back to business. Sign For two days, Amajit was beaten, drugged and starved. Weakened by exhaustion, and with GHB making him euphoric, even at his most vulnerable, he continued to resist. But sometimes, even the simplest of torture methods can be the most brutal. With his ankles and wrists tied to the armchair and a red scarf gagging his voice, the brown parcel tape was wound tightly around the front and back of his head. Only the thick plastic film didn't just cover his chin, his lips and his cheeks. It also covered his eyes and formed a tight seal across his nose. Unable to pull it off or inhale a single breath, this brown plastic mask rapidly bulged and dented, pulsing in hot bursts as he struggled for air. Each time he passed out, Kenneth awoke him, and did it again, and again, and again. For Nancy, the recorded message had brought her a little comfort. But as she began to calm down, and to rationalise the events of the day, there were a few details which only the wife of Amarjit Chohan, would know didn't make any sense. If her husband's phone had stopped working, why didn't he use Kenneth's to call her? If Kenneth had an audio message from her husband, why didn't he send it electronically instead of driving 80 miles to hand deliver it? He had told all of the staff at Sieber Freight that Amarjet had flown to Holland to seal the deal. But Nancy knew that wasn't possible, as he would never leave the country without telling her first. And with her application for British citizenship still being considered, Amarjit's passport was held by the Home Office. And finally, that message. Although the voice was definitely Amarjit's, the words were not. As with English not being her first language, The couple always communicated in Punjabi. Nancy knew that something was seriously wrong. She just didn't know what. In the sitting room at Forge Close, exhausted from two days' beatings and torture, Amojit remained stoic. As a shrewd businessman, even against someone as brutal and ruthless as Kenneth, he still knew how to play hardball even when the odds looked bleak. But by that point, there was no denying that Amarjit Chohan knew that he was going to die. But his death would leave him with a very deadly dilemma. Give up his company and risk his family's futures, or refuse to sign and risk their lives. There was no way that Amarjit would ever put his family in jeopardy. So the only way that Kenneth could get what he wanted was if the papers were signed in blood. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. The final part of Signed with Blood continues next week. As always, if you like tea, cake and waffle, as well as learning a few tidbits about this case... Please join me after the break. But before that, here's a brief promo for a true crime podcast, which may be the audio equivalent of what Eva is to me.
3: Good evening, friends. I'm Emma, the host of the True Crime Witch podcast. Join me every other week as we delve into everything murderous, mysterious and downright macabre. You can find the podcast by searching The True Crime Witch Podcast on all of your favourite podcast apps, and search for us on social media just using The True Crime Witch. Hope to see you there. Remember friends, stay safe and stay spooky.
2: A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters. Some of whom have received exclusive goodies, such as badges, stickers and keyvics, as well as patron-only podcasts such as Walk With Me and Deadly Thoughts. Ooh. They are Kate Wakefield, Joe Wood, Laura Workinger-Harden, and Kat Stewart. I thank you all. Murder Mile was research written, and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well.
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why UnitedHealthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
3: Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb.
0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
2: Oh, that was longer than the others. How? That was. Oh, that was simply written and it took bloody ages oh hello everyone extra mile time how are we all we all good that just took too long i don't know why that took really long there's nothing really complicated in there it's just i kept tripping up and the ice cream man was coming around again god knows why it's ice cream man and we got because it's because the weather's getting a little bit better all of the all of the the rich Berks, who've got themselves little little private little two seater wee wee are uh, uh, flying around because there's loads of private airports near where I am. uh you get all the little businessmen going, yeah, uh, oh, I need to get across London. I know I'm going to get into my little crappy little wee wee and fly across. Oh, oh, I'll be at the meeting in an hour. I'm in my my private he- helicopter or jet, whatever. All crap. Oh, and the problem is because they're tiny they fly really slow but they they, they it's like a, a a little mosquito and you can hear them flying and they go Wee! and that means that means I can't do any recording for like three minutes while you wait for them to go by oh that's so frustrating oh anyway extra mile time right let me go and put on my, my uh what am I gonna do should I do a coffee teal coffee I've got my thing is coffee in the morning. And then I move on to tea, and then uh, later in the afternoon I go to Earl Grey. And then, after that, then I move on to uh, peppermint tea. I kind of... uh, Oh, no, uh, yeah, peppermint tea. And then uh, sometimes I go for a a Bisto or something. I think I'm going to have to go for another coffee because I'm tired. Let's just see. Hang on. Uh, Oh, not quite. Not quite enough water. You may uh, realise recently, I know I say I don't edit it, uh, edit out extra mile, but what I've started doing is because uh, uh, quite a few people have said, oh, we can't hear you uh, on this bit. So what I've started doing, I've started really bumping up the uh, the audio just on this bit here. So you can hear me in the kitchen, make me a cup of tea. It won't sound good, but it's uh, it's enough. That you can, hear, you can hear exactly what I'm saying. So just putting any powdered milk as always, or into my murder Mile mug. Ooh, excitement! Lots of murder mugs. Right, that's on. Good. Whoa. Right. Um, what have I treated myself to today? Cake time. I meant to save this one, ready for the recording, but it's worth it. This is from Lidl. These are. Chocolate donuts from Lidl, and they're very good. they are proper donuts. They they sometimes do ring donuts, and they sometimes do the caramel chocolate donuts, which aren't as nice. But this is the proper donut without the hole in the centre, and it's got a thick base of chocolate on the bottom, and the donut itself is nice. It's not too, not too squishy, not too soft, not too oily. Uh, And then there's big, big. It's not really chocolate. It's it's like Nutella. It's the hazelnut one. But it's in the uh centre. God, it's good, and then it's got oh yeah. They're like 50p each, but when you eat them, you just go, ooh, yum, delicious. That is gonna be my treat. I had one the other day and when I was writing, I was trying to get write this and I was going, oh right, right, when it gets to 12 o'clock I will treat myself to a donut, but not till then, and that's that was like push yourself forwards to have a lovely donut which was lovely so uh, i also tried the other day yet yeah, the diet's going well thank you very much uh the other day i tried cabri the uh, the cabri's caramel and dairy milk chocolate flapjacks and i thought well i love flapjacks i love cabri's dairy milk i love cabri's caramel so this must be a winner <sighs> absolutely disgusting really disgusting so it, on paper they sound like a great idea but I tried them and it, yeah, they, they were in Tesco's and they were going for like uh, like silly prices and I thought well I'll give them a try and then I was like well now I know why it's because they just don't work sorry Cadbury's. love dairy milk love Cadbury's caramel but just your flapjacks just those oh disgust oh I've just knocked over me my, uh, uh my sound boom thing right okay what else is going on? Uh, I've just ordered some more Murder Mile mugs. Oh, exciting! Because I, I, I actually ran out. So I've ordered. It was. I live miles away from where from my PO box, so I had to get three rucksacks and extra bags and stack them up. So I was walking along the street like a. I looked like a a homeless man who got his, all his belongings with him, but in there was just Murder Mile mugs. And some new uh, cards and things like that. So, they've been ordered. So, if you want to order a Murder Mile mug of goodies, they're available online. I think they're about about £12, which is not too bad. That's pretty good. Oh, tea's up. It's coffee. So, obviously, I don't have to let it stew. Uh, and some people might be thinking that I'm a bit of a heathen because uh, it's not... It's not—it's not, uh, it's not the, uh, the the coffee that you have to put into a cafetiere. It's the—it's the old World War ii style instant coffee. I quite like instant. I don't like fancy coffee. I just find it too strong sometimes. Uh, anyway, so Murder Mile mugs are available. They're about twelve pounds. In there you get the Murder Mile mug, exclusive Murder Mile mug. You get all the badges and uh, 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 fridge magnets, and I uh, uh, throw in key rings as well. I'm going to have to order some more keyvings because uh, I'm running out of those as well. <sighs> Uh, They're available you can get or you can subscribe to the new tier on patreon which is called the whole blocker you get early uh early Murdermile, you get walk with me you get all the outtakes that go in there they've been good fun to make uh you get deadly thoughts which is the new interactive podcast with me and eva uh but also you get a Murdermile mug of goodies as well that's pretty good that's that's a that's a pretty good deal in fact i actually uh on that i actually make a loss actually, to be honest on the first month of patreon i make a loss all the time anyway but i don't mind i don't mind as long as people are getting value for money that's what i worry about most is thinking oh shit do people, am I giving people enough stuff, enough interesting stuff, not just, this is shit I've found, this is uh, stuff, good stuff, Uh, what else is going on, Uh, my little plant, I've got a little plant on my boat, my little calancho, which is like a mountain uh, cactus, very good, it's the only plant I've ever uh been able to keep because I normally I normally kill plants they normally die quickly I normally overwater them or underwater them or, or whatever but the is great it's like you cannot water him for ages and he and he can he can sit in the boat and it can be he can go between like minus 0 and then 40 degrees cuz it's I've got the fire on and he's like yeah I don't care and then I can pop him on the roof and you know have some sun he's all right so that's my little plan that was that was the one amy that you got me at, uh, for christmas so he's doing all right i've just put him into a bigger pot so he can have a little bit of a run a little planty run around uh, what else is going on? oh i have a slurp of tea i'm not going to tuck into my donut just yet cuz this is going to be to be savored oh dear that's hot that's burn my lips um so i hope you enjoyed that case that was uh uh, another one these ones where, um, obviously the police file isn't available because it's so uh, fresh, but uh, it was interesting enough, I'd, I kind of stumbled across it, but what I realised was that the, the press had reported on it, but they hadn't bothered to do any digging, so most of the articles out there are very inaccurate. Uh, a lot of the information as well, as we've seen many times, has been rehashed, so someone will just get the press release and they'll just basically rehash that. They'll find some Twitter sources... So they can say, a friend of the family says, or or sources close to, which is always bullshit. But but all of it was inaccurate, so I had to get all the details down uh, and do a lot of digging myself. Unfortunately, a lot of the details, as you can see, to do with the uh, kidnapping and stuff like that, are very kind of sparse, because uh, a lot of it wasn't... It went to court, but a lot of the the details didn't come up there, because obviously, you know, you've got the Chohan family who... uh, no I was about to do a spoiler then uh I, I, there's not a lot of uh, details out there let's just say that you'll find out you'll find out more next week uh but I did my usual thing I cycled to all the locations I went to obviously not the ones in Wiltshire because that's too far for me to travel but I, I went to uh Ciber Freight that was interesting to see it because it's right next to the Tesco's at Bullsbridge which I've been to many times before and I didn't realize that's how close it was so that was interesting to see it 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 As always, these locations don't look uh as they did uh in kind of news reports and things like that. You get there and you go, Oh, this is what it looks like. Uh and then and then I cycled over to uh the Chohan family house, which is no longer there. It was demolished years ago. So there's a new one there. Uh and I got there and I was like, Well that must be where it is, that's thirty-five and I knew and I looked at the building and I went, Okay, that's a relatively new building, so that is right and I recorded all the pieces and then I cycled home. And I went, ah, shit, it was only when I got home I realised I was standing on Sutton Hall Road, but one road below is Sutton Road, which is the road I needed. So I was actually standing in front of the wrong bloody building, so I'm back this weekend to reshoot it. That's why I always come back and I always double-check everything before I put it out, just to make sure it's right oh dear that was good right uh I, I just need to do something before we move on uh I've got to do a, a recording for crime con so because my microphone's on I'm going to do it now you can fast forward it through if you want but there's some interesting stuff so let me get my <coughs> this is just something they're going to use this week so I thought I can I can do it now that'd be great right let me put on my podcast voice this is not my podcast voice this is, right get ready switch on podcast voice Hello, this is Mike, host of the world famous Murder Mile UK True Crime podcast, and widely regarded as the greatest thing to have ever entered a person's ears since time began, and that's a fact. I'm deeply honoured to be part of Podcast Row at Crimecon UK on the 25th twenty fifth and on the twenty fifth and twenty sixth of September, twenty twenty one. If you love true crime, please check out my audio doings cleverly entitled Murder Mile and should you purchase a ticket and save yourself 20% by using the promo code mile you can come and meet me in person yes i'm real yes i'm real you can touch me not too much just a little and not down there that's rude to do so treat yourself to 2 day to do so treat yourself to 2 days of murderously good fun at crimecon see you there there we go. I didn't make too many mistakes. Obviously I'll edit that before it goes out. Uh and that helps me because I have to, every month I have to do I you know I have to do a kind of a intro to you about CrimeCon. It's contractual and all that, but I thought I'd update you on that. So CrimeCon is moving ahead. It's going away ahead in September, those dates as mentioned. Uh it's supported by the crime and investigation channel which do loads of great programs and obviously you're going to see loads of true crime experts and authors and renowned investigative journalists journalists and content makers Um, they've recently announced that uh, along there as well will be uh, actress and tv presenter denise welsh who english people will know from corrie i think she was on corrie but she's been doing a new series called Survivors with Denise Welsh, so she'll be there. Uh, broadcaster and German, journalist, Dermot Murnahan. I'm Dermot Murnahan. Uh Top-rated true crime series, Crimes That Shook Britain, that's what he does. But uh, recently, he's been doing uh, a programme called Killer Britain with Dermot Murnahan. Obviously not with that voice. Uh, and also there will be TV uh, and radio broadcaster, uh, Anita Rani who narrated Family Man, uh, which was a one-off special about domestic abuse, but is also uh, going to be the host of the new series of Murder Town. Uh, so uh, there's loads of stuff going on. So uh, top-selling author Neil Lancaster will be there. Uh, criminologist and author Professor Paul Britton will be there. Uh, loads of people. Loads of uh, A geographic profiling expert, Dr. Samantha Lundgren... You know, yeah, you should hear the outtakes on the. Uh, if you're on Patreon, you get the outtakes. One, the outtakes for uh, last week's episode, the uh, Northwick Park one. That was that was like the longest outtakes ever because it was all these complicated names, but not only just like um, diseases and and uh, uh, medicines and things like that, but all of a sudden it was like Doctor Serantho and just all these names that I couldn't get into my head, and it was always killing me. Anyway, oh dear, right quick slurp. So that was that. Uh, let's dive into some details about this episode. What I'm going to do is do some background stuff. I'm not going to dig in too much to the episode because I've still got to write part 2 and I, I think with some of that we're going to start dipping back and forth. There were there were elements in here that I've put in to kind of lead you into next week. So next week you can go, ah oh, so that's what that was." So I don't want to do it. Too- so we're going to do a lot of early stuff. So uh amajit chings chin i can't even pronounce that amajits i've I've had this all day i just my brain isn't switched into gear which is weird because i had a good sleep as well uh amajit singh chohan was 46 he was also known as and most people knew him as anil uh, some of his staff knew him as neil as well that's kind of the english englishized version of anil he was born on the 5th of march 1957 a british national but was born in the punjab in india as mentioned he had thick thick jet black hair very rounded eyebrows a thick mustache uh, seems like a really nice guy everyone said he was a good family man loving husband uh solid businessman loving father really nice to work with but could be quite secretive Do you know he kept his cards to his chest but apart from that was well liked very friendly personable uh quite a casual business style he, he dressed casually uh but he was uh, clearly very smart and savvy but you know um some people said he ran his business a little bit chaotically others said you know that's just how he was he kind of, he kind of lived for the moment you know and that's and if you think about it you know he built a successful empire it was making like 4.5 million pounds every year so you know he obviously knows what he's doing um came to the uk in the early 20s we reckon around the early 1980s um, clearly educated and keen to do well but we don't really know a lot about him unfortunately there's not really a lot of details about his parents or his siblings weirdly in all of the reports they don't appear anywhere nancy's family do his don't so uh it's unknown whether there was a family dispute whether the family stayed in india whether they're still alive we don't know uh or whether because he uh was living bigamously which we'll get to you know with his uh his first wife because he married his first wife but then couldn't divorce whether his family had disowned him we don't know but obviously because he's an immigrant there's a lot of details that's really hard to establish um but everyone who knew him said, look, he was a successful man, but he was quite humble about it, do you know. Didn't like gold watches, flashy suits, sports cars, you know. what? Not one of those twats who goes around, going, oh, look at my car, like that, you know. He's a... Uh yeah, people can people can have flashy suits and sports cars if they like. That's fine. That's not a problem. Please don't email. We go. I got a sports car. You say I'm a uh, it's, it's just uh, this is the difference. He, it, you know, he didn't wear his wealth. I think sometimes you see that on the streets, don't you? You see people walking along, dripping in gold jewelry and stuff like that, with an earpiece in, and you just go, yeah, you're trying to make out like you're some kind of big guy, some kind of. Uh, do you know businessman but you're clearly not do you know it's a work day and you're, you're sitting outside the weather spoons having a couple of pints just get a job mate um so yeah but he wasn't like that he was you know, very down to earth um uh you know many people live beyond their means he didn't he you know he, he liked to he, he didn't rack up debts he didn't have credit cards as far as we know he didn't have loans uh, but he was a risk taker. So, you know, he always made sure he had kind of a balance behind him. Uh, as mentioned, being a Sikh, um, uh, his faith uh, doesn't allow him to drink alcohol or have any intoxicants. Intoxicants. This includes, as mentioned, drugs, drink, coffee, tobacco, that kind of thing. That's not allowed. So when you think about it and you look, look into the story, when they were giving him GHB, the, the date rape drug, that must have had a massive effect on his body because his body's just like us, like, you know, if you like coffee, you try and go a day, like two or three days without coffee. Your body is struggling. Like if uh, if you're a smoker as well, exactly the same. I I quit smoking years ago, and the the first week of that was bloody awful. But if you're not used to intoxicants and you're or, or like. This is the thing I used. Oh, days of smoking! I used to love that. Quitting smoking for a year and then having that first, that first drag, and you could feel all the drugs in your system just going, "Whoa, shit!" Uh, but obviously, for him, imagine that. Imagine that. It's, it's like even though he sold cat. Uh, which is to, you know, um, you, you see that in uh, a lot of films that are based in Somalia, where they're sitting there and they're chewing leaves and, you know, they, uh, everyone's getting high. It's it's kind of the uh, an intoxicant that's used in the Somali community. Even though he sold that because it was legal in the UK, um, he didn't use it himself. Uh, makes sense, really. You don't... If it, It's like they say with... Uh, not that he's a drug dealer, but it's like they say with drug dealers. You know, good drug dealers aren't drug addicts you know you you don't you don't piss on your own patch you don't you don't eat your own you don't take your own product but when you do start doing that your life collapses uh so um he had a first marriage we don't really know a lot about this uh, we know he was married we don't know her name um unfortunately there's, there's quite a few amajit chohans uh of the roughly the same age around that time so i couldn't really find out a lot uh but he was married he apparently he did have a child or uh several children with his first wife uh they were married for whatever reasons it didn't work given his faith he was unable to divorce um so um even though he was no longer with his wife apparently he still supported them uh but pretty much most of their details were kept out of the press uh, as mentioned in 1996 he was convicted of two charges of tax evasion and was sentenced to three years in prison uh and he served 18 months of that so uh he came out middle of 97 start 98 ish uh but within it, within two years he would married nancy so nancy Verma, uh they were married in august 2000 uh down in surrey um he was still married to his first so technically this is, so this is a, a bigamous marriage. but you know um there's not really a lot he could do with it, it you know he's uh he, he loved Nancy, but he, he couldn't divorce because of his religious beliefs. Uh, Nancy was 25. She was born in India uh, on the 30th of January 1979. Uh, like him, she was a Punjabi Sikh uh, and an Indian national. Uh, I'm not too sure when she came over to the UK, uh, but she hadn't got a passport yet. and She was still applying for British citizenship. Uh, hence, her, deed, her Indian passport was... was with the home office as was his um sh- her mother-in-law came over as mentioned her name uh taranjit car Karp- car pan uh, she's 51 uh, a teacher and uh onka verma who's nancy's brother who's 28 lives in new zealand he's going to crop up a lot more in part two so that's why i've kind of flagged up both of them in in uh, this episode uh but as mentioned as see as even though he didn't seem to have much of a relationship. Uh, amarjit didn't have much of a relationship with his own family nancy had a very close relationship not just with him but with her mother and her brother as well uh so as mentioned they had a, a son who was born in 2000 so around the time that they got married um uh, 9th of august 2000 amarjit uh by ciba freight now ciba freight wasn't originally called ciba freight uh, it was originally known as IG Transport Solutions Limited, uh, uh, and it was incorporated in April 1996, uh, but, um, it's, it's, I, I've, do, I've done the company's house details on this, so, uh, it's not, I, I, there's quite a few people who seem to have owned it before, so, uh, I, I'll post this on, the. Uh, patron if if people are interested and maybe on social media Uh, so in 1996 uh, Rangina Watts was the company owner Uh, Hardil Singh Dylan uh, was also a director uh, and one other as well who I've got written here but they both they both resigned just afterwards so it looked like it was a buyout Uh, so Amarjit bought them out and then uh, Nancy came in as co-director on there and company secretary Uh, but around this point, uh, she was, she was like a full-time mother of eventually two. So, uh, uh, exactly how much time she actually spent at the company. We don't know. Um, was a very hands-on businessman, um. Uh, as mentioned uh they had a little home at thirty five Sutton Road in heston heston is kind of you know um a kind of a lower middle class area quite an, quite a nice area but it's right it's right on the Heathrow flight path it's like when you're there um you can literally see people in the windows of the jets as they fly over so uh but um joe you know, a ni- a nice little area uh their home was sold not long after they they um Try not to do spoilers there. Uh, the home was valued at around three hundred thousand um, pounds, but it was demolished not long. I think it was around two thousand and four, two thousand and five. That was demolished, so it's not long, it, not there anymore. But if you look in that area, there's there's quite a few um, bungalows in the area. Um, I've tried to explain it as best I can for people who don't use the word bungalow, but a bungalow is kind of like a one a one floored. Uh, Is it called the duplex in America? I don't know. I don't know what all these different titles are. We call them a bungalow, but it's kind of a one-floored house... Everything's on one floor, Do you know, there's no stairs to go up and down anyway, it's just on one floor. And if you go to Heston, there's loads of those around. So there's loads of little bungalows dotted around, which have been a little bit fancified. So in some cases you might find the Doric columns and the as mentioned in there, like the, the stone tigers outside. So it's meant to look like oh you're meant to look at it and go, Oh, look, this is like a really grand, expensive place. They've got Doric columns and they've got stone tigers gant keeping guard and oh look there's uh, things that look like gold and it's not gold it's tin which is colored gold uh and the houses might look a little, little bit cheap but then outside you've got a really really expensive like high high spec mercedes it, it, it's kind of that area um but even though their home was only worth uh around three hundred thousand pounds uh he as mentioned he had five properties across the uk which was worth around uh, uh two and a half two and a half million pounds so uh yeah, he, uh, um, I mean, it was it wasn't a shabby house. It was just it was just simple. That's that. I I guess it's part of his religion. He li- he lives simply. He's a uh, he liked he's a humble man, as they say. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, as mentioned, he's, I've mentioned it a lot in his His old uh, S. Reg Ford Escort. Um, uh, his son was born uh, December two thousand and two. So, uh, when all this was going on, obviously, uh, Davinda was only eight weeks old. Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? So, keep an eye on the time, make sure I'm not overrunning. I'm going to. Yeah. Because this is, is going to be a half an hour episode, and I don't want extra mile to be. Last week's one was huge. I was like, how did it get so far? But there was a lot to discuss on that one. Um, as we know,. Uh, next week's episode we're going to learn a lot about Kenneth Regan and his 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 cohorts that's really what that's going to be about but also focusing on the family as well Uh, so roughly around July 2002 Regan uh, got to know Kenneth Regan got to know uh, Michael Parr who was one of the co-partners uh, we know that Regan worked as a HGV truck driver, uh, that he was trained in that before, so that he may have been working for Amarjit and the company around that time, uh, uh, but that's how he got to know Amarjit and kind of uh, got to know the insides and outsides of his operations, and he, be- he became very familiar with the people and, you know, what was going on. Um, uh but obviously around that point he was referring to himself as kenneth avery which was his alias so if they would have done uh checks uh they would they wouldn't find uh kenneth avery the criminal because kenneth avery the criminal didn't exist but if you know if they were to find out that kenneth regan kenneth regan had a long history we'll go into that next week there's a lot to discuss about kenneth um i'm not going to do much about the mcdonald's deal as well because that's going to come back to us next week as well so we'll dive into that quite deeply as well um uh, as mentioned I, i've kind of precursed this for next week's episode as well obviously nancy had an eight week old baby a three-year-old boy her mother had come over so taranjit was there um uh Anka Verma, her brother, was going to come over on the 18th, so that's only a couple of days away. So they're all gearing up for this. This was going to be quite quite a nice moment for all the family and uh, all that going on. Life was good. They hadn't got any money problems. Everything seemed good. Uh, we know that um, Amarjit had siphoned off £50,000 from his business account, from the company business account to his personal account, which, uh, which you're not allowed to do uh but as far as we know he didn't have any deal he didn't have any debts or credit cards or anything like that that didn't seem to be his thing but he did need money and he didn't do it properly through business dealings things like that so uh we're not too sure why he did that that seems to be one of those things that is just unexplained what he needed that fifty thousand pounds for uh we don't know um we've done all the details about his last scene alive. Uh, meeting at stonehenge i mean that's an odd one we we don't know where that happened at all if if you if you uh go on google maps and look at stonehenge and then uh do the the street view version have a look around it's weird it's like stonehenge is very isolated it's by itself because it's a public monument you can't build near it uh and and they've tried their best to make sure that there's no um buildings on the horizon because do you know if you look at something like the Taj Mahal? The Taj Mahal's beautiful, or or like the uh, do you know the, the Sphinx over in Egypt? They're all beautiful, but the problem is you have to get one shot of it. And if you turn the camera like ten degrees to the left or the right, you're going to see high rise buildings. It's horrible. They've just literally built everywhere. They're like, oh, land, let's build. Uh, whereas uh, um, the uh, uh, Stonehenge. Uh, they've deliberately kept that kind of as clear and uh, you know so it can be as remote as possible so it's interesting that they met there but there's like one main road going through there's a couple of side roads but they tend to be because there's no real good parking near stonehenge people tend to park up in the side roads So where they met up, we don't know. How close it was to Stonehenge, we don't know. Whether they met at Stonehenge and then drove somewhere else, we don't know. These are all kind of details that we we don't really know about it. But what we do know is there's no cameras in the area. Nobody witnessed them. If they did witness them, they must have thought nothing about it because there's lots of cars parked around and, you know, um, who knows. The exact timing of it is unknown. Roughly 10.30 or 11 o'clock, we don't know. Uh who would have spotted a white transit van and a blue ford around that it's not like these are kind of unique cars if it would have been like if say uh amargit would have had a car which as i said at the start was like you know uh, a Beamer or a bugatti with a license plate that said banana or cherries people would have noticed that but because both the the vehicles were you know not very suspicious they kind of blended in uh but this is an odd area as well it's kind of because it's salisbury plain it's where uh uh, a lot of the military do uh, <coughs> exercises. There's like uh, tanks being tested, bombs going off. You know, it's an interesting place. Um, so there's a lot of security there. So it seems. Um, well, I guess it. I guess it was chosen because uh, it was local to uh, uh, Kenneth Regan's safe house. Inverted commas, safe house. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the description of that. I've put a little picture online of the safe house. It's baffling. It's baffling. I mean, I mean he. he his, fa- his father's retirement home, his father's retirement bungalow, and he picked that as a safe house. And when you, when if if you, if you type in Forge Close, Three Forge Close, on Google Maps and have a look at it, it's like there's a man outside washing his car. Uh, they've blurred out his face, so you can't see who it is. But there's allotments behind the, the the bungalow is connected to another bungalow or two bungalows. It's it's not the kind of place you would think that you'd have as a safe house and a place where you'd want to uh torture a man to death it's it's weird it really is uh but that's where they chose i don't know it's an odd one so um that's that i think that's i think that's everything yeah that's that's everything uh god what time is it oh it's almost 10 o'clock oh dear oh yawn o'clock um yeah that was an early start let's take it oh, i've barely got to this point now so i'm gonna have my coffee i'm gonna have my donut uh i'm gonna uh do all all eva's washing for work she's a lazy cow and she's in bed uh, if you want to know more check out deadly thoughts whoa well, my exciting podcast with me and eva i do the cooking she does the sitting on her ass uh anyway that's that hope you enjoyed that that was all good and fun uh next week is part two of signed in blood so i hope you enjoy that Uh, I don't know what's after that. I've got got a list somewhere, but I'm just not looking at it. Uh, Anyway, best wishes. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Switch off. Switch off. There we go. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?
3: Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership.